So today on this Mother's Day, we're going to be continuing our study of the book of Mark, and it's in, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2. It's actually one of the most wonderful stories um, in the Gospels. It's a great story. Back when I first read it, I said, oh, good, I'm so excited I get to preach on this. I love this story. You know, you don't hear it very often, not often enough. It's a cool story about the guys who cut through a roof to bring somebody to Jesus. Uh, So Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let me read it. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening... They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? It is he is, he is blaspheming. This is all internal. They're not speaking this out loud. It's in their hearts. He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Isn't that a great story? So exciting. So fantastic. Let's just pray. Father, in your kindness, take us to that crowded house and to see this thing and to listen to what you're, you're saying to us from this, this fantastic event. And open our hearts, Lord. Help us to need you this much and to come to you in faith. We pray this only through the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, my title is Faith. Totally Justified. You know, a lot of people look at people with faith and say, yeah, you guys are like weak, weak-brained. They're stupid. I, we have a, a relation 
a family member, um, and she said, faith is a, a fantasy. Believing in God is a fantasy. It's kind of like a Disney trip, you know? Um, and, and they say, hey, it's just stupid. It's, it's, there's no content to it. But this story leads us to this. Faith is totally justified. One of our songs says today, right? At some point in history, what? Faith will become what? Sight. Did you catch that line in the psalm uh, we sang today? Uh, you know, that's so true. There's going to be one day when you don't even need faith anymore. Because there's Jesus, you know? And it's going to be fantastic. It's going to blow everybody's mind. Because when Jesus reveals his power, minds are blown. Blown. <laughs> That's a new word. Uh, blown. It's, honestly, uh, see verse 12? They were all amazed. That, that Greek word there is literally the word we get our word ecstatic from. They were like beside themselves. I mean, I would be too. You know, please, let's not lose the, the shocking reality of this story. Do you, do you, I used to work <clears throat> in a spinal cord rehab unit. And uh, I knew paralytics. I, got to, I was friends with the paralytic. For 10 years, he stayed in this rehab unit. Um, his name was John Lindsay. On a ventilator, VDQ. It's called Ventilator Dependent Quad. Now, this guy wasn't a VDQ, obviously. He's probably a paraplegic, um, or perhaps even a higher uh, par paralysis on the spine. But I'm telling you, they don't get up and walk. And they don't get up and pick up their striker beds and walk down the hall of, of the hospital. They don't. You know, within a week or two, your muscles atrophy. They fade away. There's nothing there. You know? And so the physical therapists keep doing what's called range of motion to keep the body working and moving. But this guy's living you know, in a pre-medical environment and uh, he, has no, he has no ability to walk. And Jesus commands, by the way. These are commands. You notice how I read them? Get up! To get your bed! Yeah, they're staccato, like military commands. Like you might find at uh, basic training. You know, it's... That's kind of kind of the beauty of this text. Which which would you rather have me say? Your sins are forgiven. You know, that's a passive idea. Glorious, wonderful, grace, mercy, kindness. Or do you want me to say, get up, take your bed up, and get out of here? Well, he's going to say that too, right? So it's so fantastic. I just love this story, and let's just thank God for this great story. So let's work through it. First, there's uh, just some textual things. You know, I always like to point them out that I, I really, really like. Um, it says he was at home. Uh, there's a little debate about that. Does that mean he had a home in Capernaum, Jesus? Well, he may have. Uh, or, or probably most likely he's back at the home where we all already saw him in Mark, which was Peter's house. Uh, remember where he healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's probably there at Peter's house. And, and look what he's doing there. You know, I, I kind of like this. He says, and many are gathered together so that there was no room. These, these aren't very big houses. Uh, but you can cram a lot of people in them. 
I don't know how many people are there, 100 maybe, right? Crammed shoulder to shoulder. They're blocking the doorway. That's significant in the story, obviously. But what is he doing? Somebody read it to me there, the very last phrase of verse 2. He was preaching the Word. You know, whoa. What do we do when we gather? We, we meditate on the Word of God. We preach the Word. We teach the Word. We speak the Word of God. Wow, that's exciting. This is Jesus doing this. You know, should we follow the example of Jesus? That's probably a good idea. I, I, I'd like to do that, Jesus. I'll preach the word just like if, you, if it was good enough for Jesus. <laughs> it's good enough for us. That's what we should do. Preach the word. That's where the power is. And uh, so it's so exciting. Um, it's all crammed in there. And then, uh, you know, you, you can hardly even imagine this. It says there's four guys that carry in this paralytic. You know, who knows? Maybe he was a big man. They probably were carrying him for quite a while too. But they get to the house, you know, finally, after all the crowds have been there for a while. You know, uh, right, a side note. Remember the last time he was in Capernaum? Uh, There was a huge line outside of Peter's house. And it says he healed many that day. He healed all of those people who came, Matthew said. So this is a guy that didn't get healed that first time. Uh, He probably heard about that other time, and now he's here. Perhaps he came from a little bit further away. But but he's carried by these four guys. What a compassionate, beautiful picture. And they get there, and they can't get in. So what would our response be? Well, we're sorry, Joe. You know, we, we did our best, and we brought you here, and Man, there's just no way. Just, we can't do this. You know, apparently not, right? They didn't. I don't think they had a committee meeting to discuss the liability of climbing up on the roof and removing the tiles and seeing whether they had an insurance policy for this. Or what are what are the ramifications going to be for this in the long run? You know, there's not no talk. It's like, okay, we're going to make this happen. We're going to get this guy to Jesus, and we're going to. And I, again, imagine. Please, everybody, look up. Did everybody look? Thank you. <laughs> I, I, honestly, can you imagine somebody up on that roof starting to break a hole through? And just for an illustration, I hired guys to do it. Go ahead, guys. No, no. <laughs> but pastor, we didn't need that illustration. <laughs> no, I would be you know, like dust starts falling. There's guys. It's a tile roof. One of the other authors tells us. So these, you know, tiles are. Taking them off upstairs. It's crazy. It's crazy. Jesus is, I, I think he's continuing on teaching. Probably at some point it's like, uh, what's going on here? You know, there's a, there's a four inch hole and it, it's eight inches. It's 16 inches. You know, the, 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 the sunlight or whatever started to stream in this hole. It's a crazy situation. They made an opening and they let down the bed on which this guy was laying. And uh, and the, what, what comes out of Jesus' mouth, right? What we have here is faith displayed. They are displaying faith. You see what it says there in verse 5? And when Jesus saw their faith, how did he see it? They, they combined their faith with action. 
They took action on their faith. They believed that Jesus could heal this guy. And they're not going to just sit around and think about it. They're going to bring it to Jesus. They're going to be persistent in their faith and, and uh, committed, steadfast. We believe that we should bring this man to Jesus. Uh, our psalm uh, today, psalm, part of Psalm 119, had a couple of verses. It says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with half their hearts. Yeah, it doesn't say that, does it? It, it? They seek him with their whole heart. I think these guys are seeking Jesus with not half-heartedness. This is a commitment to, to pursue Jesus Christ, even when it's difficult. And it's also in verse 10 of, our, of Psalm 119, which Eugene read as well. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. What is faith? See, faith is not a partial commitment. It's not like half-heartedly or somewhat committed or sort of interested or, you know, oh yeah, I believe that. Uh, I once heard a conversation, I've said this before, but probably none of you remember, but I heard a conversation between a late high school, like, well, like almost a 20-year-old boy and his father. And uh, he said to his father, talking about religion, you know, Dad, what, what are we? And the dad said, well, we're Christians. You know, what's wrong with that picture? <laughs> you know, uh, you couldn't tell by the way he was living. You couldn't tell by his commitment to the work of the Lord. You couldn't tell by his church attendance, which, you know, was once every decade or so. Uh, it's, it's little wonder that the child said, you know, Dad, what are we? Are we what, what, what do we believe? I'm 20. I don't know what I believe anymore or at all. I never did. And, and, and so it just strikes me that these guys represent a wholehearted commitment to Jesus Christ. Wholehearted faith in who Jesus is. And the text says he saw their faith. He saw their faith. Let's also pause for a minute and think about this guy, this paralytic. As I said, I had the honor and privilege to minister to paralyzed people at Valley Medical Center in San Jose. And um, they are very dependent people. Uh, you know, depending on the level of their injury, they can be ex totally dependent on caregivers. Uh, they have no ability to get themselves into a bath, you know, particularly quads, obviously, ventilator-dependent quad, uh, or, or like a Johnny Erickson Tata individual. She needs full-on help, doesn't she? She's accomplished amazing things for the Lord Jesus Christ, but she needs a ton of help. And, and there's, a, there's a potency to this guy, an illustration of our actual spiritual situation. Because when it comes to getting to Jesus, we cannot do it on our own. We can't. We need to literally be carried by God Himself to Jesus Christ. And also, sometimes, we're carried by other wholehearted believers who, who believe that we should come to Jesus. And you know, sometimes that's your mommy. Hmm? Who, who gets carried to Jesus? Uh, uh, who carries people to Jesus more than the mother? Uh, most of the time, 
mothers bring their children to Jesus with a, a, a can, can I say dogged? dogged commitment, a strong commitment. We're going to make this happen even if it seems difficult, even if it seems dangerous to climb up on a roof. We need people to bring us and you and I need to be the people who are bringing people to Jesus. We should believe enough in the teaching of the Word of God that we want to bring people to be exposed to the Word of God. And it will be difficult, but we're willing to take the risk to, to bring people to Jesus. And, and so there's a lot going on here, a lot to think about. Uh, this guy does symbolize our spiritual condition. Uh, the Bible actually doesn't say you're paralyzed. By the way, it says you're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We, we need the Holy Spirit to breathe us to life, to bring us to Jesus. Uh, that's how bad off we are. But Jesus saw their faith. And I guess the question we should ask is, does He see our faith? Does He see us taking action on our faith? Does He see us wholeheartedly committed to seeking Him, to desiring to obey Him, to desiring to be near Him, to know we need Him? Uh, That should be our prayer, to display our faith wholeheartedly. Well, we have faith answered next. Uh, this is through the roof. You know, that English expression usually means from here up that way, right? Things went through the roof, but here we have them coming down through the roof. Here's a nice old artwork of it. It's not probably that old. Um, it's, that's kind of a cool description of what happened that day. These guys lowering, you know, so disruptive. And Jesus' response is compassion. It's not like, hey, this is inconvenient. I'm embarrassed because this is Peter's house. Who's going to pay for this repair? You know, I'm so sorry, Peter. This is none of that, right? He sees the need of the human being here. Uh, It's a glorious thing. And faith is answered with this, son. The actual Greek word is child, technia. Um, it's a term of compassion. It's nothing about age. Very possibly this guy was twice the age of Jesus. We don't know. We just have no idea, right? But he's reaching out in love. Son, your sins are forgiven. So how are sins forgiven? Through faith that is displayed. Faith that takes action. Faith that comes to Jesus and seeks Jesus, then he forgives our sins. I had the honor and privilege, actually, of preaching this sermon last night in Lahore, Pakistan. That sounds a little strange, but the Internet is good for something. (laughs) And I've got some friends there, and every once in a while they ask me to preach in their church. So it was uh, my sermon started at 10.15 p.m., which is uh, 10.15 a.m. in Lahore. And uh, it was pretty cool. I watched the congregation. This is the second time I've done this. And I was thinking about uh, them in a very, very aggressive Muslim context, right? I mean, honestly, you and I come to church. feels pretty comfortable, right? Uh, it's not like that in Lahore. I, I, you, it just takes courage to come to church. Uh, it takes amazing faith in Jesus to even come to church. There were well over a hundred people there 
in this church. And it occurred to me that the gospel is so glorious, you know. Because all of our friends and neighbors who don't know Jesus and all of their friends and neighbors, their Muslim neighbors, and I didn't say your Muslim neighbor, but I said all the people living around you think that they have to work real hard and earn their salvation. They have to please God. And then maybe, maybe He'll say, okay, I'll have mercy on you. But here we have Jesus. The guy didn't do anything. He just showed up a weak rag on a cot. <laughs> the word Jesus says, your sins forgiven. I didn't get enough sleep last night. <laughs> I'm okay. Honestly, it's really awesome. So powerful. The Word. He declares it. How do you get saved? By the declaration of God. Not by your works. He says, your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. Look at... uh, Genesis 15, 6. This is not new. Genesis 15, you know, the 15th chapter of the Bible tells us this. Uh, If we open our hearts and minds, and if the Holy Spirit opens our hearts and minds, we can see the glorious gospel right here. This is Abram who saw the stars in the heavens and Jesus, uh, God said to him, so will your uh, descendants be, so will your offspring be, and verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. You get saved by faith in the word of God. You get not by works. Your righteousness stink. Our righteousness are like dirty diapers. They're like menstrual cloths before God. That's literally the, the classification of that filthy rags that used to say in the King James Version. Our righteousness doesn't cut it at all. We need the infinite righteousness of Jesus Christ declared on us. Awesome. And then look at Romans, please. Romans 8, 33. Romans 8, 30. Three. Acts, Romans 8, 33, the Magna Carta of our faith. It says this. Who, <laughs> who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies can't argue with the word of God. He de- and that justified means he declares us to be righteous. In Jesus Christ, the, the powerful, creative voice of God who commanded the world into existence, 
speaks over us and in, in, in the reality of the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we're declared to be righteous. And I want to tell you, if that paralytic had never gotten off that cot that day, he'd say, I got the best deal. I got the best deal. For, for eternity, my sins are forgiven. I'll lay in this cot for another 40 years. I don't care. It's nothing. It is nothing compared to an eternity laying in punishment for your unforgiven sins. He releases. The sin is gone. It's released and it goes. Hallelujah. He paid the penalty. It's not ex nihilo. It's not out of nothing. It's out of the payment of his, of his own life for our sin. Jesus declares him to be righteous. And we, we see this is, this is Jesus, my good friend. Jesus who created the world. Colossians 1, look at that with me. Colossians chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 15. Jesus deserves our, our commitment, our worship. This is Jesus, fully God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. That means He's preeminent over all creation. Why? For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Can you imagine that? Honestly, that's massive. Uh, everything's for you, Jesus. <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, Yahweh. Everything ever, ever is for Him. There's a lot of things that aren't for you. A lot of things aren't for me, right? <laughs> Imagine these, you know, flip through some stories in your life when you had a moment when you realized, oh, this wasn't for me. That's, that's actually not for me. <laughs> Can you imagine that moment? Uh, I had one funny little moment. I graduated from grad school, and we went to a park to have a party. And my family uh, was there, like my extended family, like 30 people or whatever, and they had a, they had a, <laughs> a cake. And it was a happy graduation. And and they were singing happy graduation, da 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 da. And they said, Dear Julie, it was for my niece who graduated from eighth grade. And, I, you know, uh, excuse me, earlier today I graduated from seminary, you know? <laughs> and they, in the lovingness of their hearts, they wanted to honor Julie, you know, uh, she graduated. And they wanted to share the, they didn't want too much attention on Nate, you know, uh, which, Probably a good idea. But, but, uh, honestly, they didn't tell me ahead of time. <laughs> there was this rude awakening. I will never forget I, the words, dear Julie, like, are emblazoned on my brain. Like, <laughs> that wasn't for me. Everything's for Jesus. All things were created by him and for him. This is Jesus. Whom we worship. Why would we seek Him? Why would we even break through a roof to get to Him? 
is he's all in all. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In, in the person of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God is perfectly happy, totally accommodated there. Whew. That's Jesus. That's whom we worship. That's the one that's worth seeking. That's the one who declares your sins are forgiven. Well, of course, in the story, we know how this story ends, and here it's starting to begin the opposition. Next we have faith challenged. We have these scribes, and I look at how the text reads. I pointed it out as I read it, but it says, now some of the scribes, so these are Jewish professional religious people, the leaders of the synagogues. They're there listening to Jesus. Everybody listening to Jesus isn't on the same page, right? They're there listening to Jesus, and they're sitting there. And it start, they start to question in their hearts, which, you know, quite honestly, it's a good question. Because they're right. If he is not God, then this is blasphemy. No human being can say your sins are forgiven. Again, a little story from my life, probably a gross story, but early days of the AIDS crisis at Valley Medical Center, a patient diagnosed with AIDS got out and went up to the top floor and jumped to, to a suicide death. And he was laying outside the men's room on, out on the sidewalk. And the Catholic priest went in and through the window told me, I granted him full, uh-oh, losing the word, absolution. I'm, I granted him full absolution. And I was shocked. That's blasphemy, friends. No human has that power. No human has that power. Now, we can recognize when somebody's forgiven. If they're coming and saying, I love you, I've, I'm, forgive me, you know, I'm a sinner, I need to be cleansed, I need to be washed, you know. Uh, and, and I would say, I don't know anything about that guy's spiritual life. I'm not saying I know anything about that man's spiritual life who died uh, that day. But for that Catholic priest, for, it was shocking to me. And I think it was blasphemous. And, and that's exactly what these guys are thinking in their hearts. They're questioning in their hearts. Look at verse 7. Why does this man speak like that? Why does he have to say it that way? They, they didn't think he was just, you know, saying some sweet little thing. They knew exactly what he meant, that this man's sins were forgiven. So he is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Again, I say, you know, they're right. They're, they're fact, factually correct. But the beautiful is, yes, he qualifies. He is God. He is our Savior, the preeminent one who created the entire universe by him and for him. So their faith is challenged. Why should you have faith in this man 
So Jesus, he shows his divinity, right? Immediately perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves. Again, this wasn't verbal questioning. They didn't elbow each other and say, what are you saying? No, they were all, they always think in their hearts. And he reads their hearts. Now let's just stop there and think about that. Honestly, it's a very scary thought. Does Jesus ever not know what's going on in my heart? Does Jesus ever not know what's going on in your heart? Has Jesus published his privacy policy? we, we, We worry about the NSA or perhaps Google or Facebook knowing everything about us. Hey, baby, that ain't nothing. <laughs> Honestly, that's uh, God knows everything. And it's super scary. It's supposed to be. It's also purifying. And also, He comes with mercy when we uh, want to be forgiven. We want to be wholeheartedly, and as Eugene pointed out when he read the psalm, that's impossible. We can never be wholehearted. That's why the psalmist says, I, oh, I, think, I think Igor pointed that out at the very beginning. We're all on the same page. That's why we come and beg for mercy. Oh, Lord, mercy. His mercy is new every morning. I kind of wish I didn't need it so much. You know, it's a little embarrassing, but it's there and I need it. It's renewed every morning. The verb tense is He cleanses, ongoing. He cleanses us from all sin. I'm always in the LG washer. Going around. <laughs> I need some more. Need some more. Need some more. <laughs> Amen. And it's there. So this is Jesus. And he knows what's going on in their hearts. He knows what's going on in our hearts all the time. You know, Lord, forgive us. And and so he says to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? And then he goes to this little riddle, you know, which is easier to say, uh, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise take up your bed and walk. You know, we're running a little low on time, but uh, just, just think about this for a second. I don't think he's talking about the verbiage, like the, the words involved here, uh, because neither one are all that difficult to say. But at, at one level, it's easier to say, I granted him full absolution. Because, you know, I can't test that. I have no way of knowing. You know, oh, Okay. It's another thing to look out the window and say, you dead man, rise up and get up. Right? That's quite another thing there. Then I can tell if it's happening, right? Uh, so in a way, it's a, it is harder to say, get up, take every bread, and walk out here. Why? Because it's discernible immediately. But on the other hand, which is the greater idea, which I've already introduced, the greatest idea you know, give me paralysis with sins forgiven versus no paralysis and me being dead in my sins for eternity. There's no question the greatest thing here is the forgiveness of sins. Anyway, it's a little conundrum. I think he means this to think about it. But he breaks through. He doesn't give them much time to think about it, does he? Look at verse 10. He's saying to them, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Huge, powerful statement. He's revealing his own nature here. He does have authority on earth to forgive sins. 
he said to the paralytic and the staccato commands, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Uh, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. <laughs> so it's a beautiful thing here. So we have uh, faith challenged and now the, the blasphemy idea that we already covered. Now, my final idea is my title, Faith Justified. You know, it is totally justified to have actual faith, literal faith in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the one with all authority and all power. He is the one who commands and it stands. He is the one that we can trust completely. The Son of Man. It's a beautiful idea. He, Jesus called himself this a lot. The Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. You can have your sins forgiven today. All you need to do is come to him and ask. The Bible says this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It never ever says whoever is sick or perhaps paralyzed and calls on Jesus will be healed. It never says that. So there's no promise there. In fact, John 16, 30, Three, I think it is, says, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So the promise is actually the other way. You will get sick. You will have problems in this world. But the promise of the gospel is the bigger, glorious thing that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You will be saved from your sins by coming wholeheartedly, persistently to Jesus and he has the authority to forgive sins, and he has power to heal the hopeless cases. And we should bring our hopeless cases to him too. He may very well heal. We trust him. We don't know what he's doing. We submit to his will, but we, we ask and we bring our requests before him. So therefore, we should have faith in him and glorify God. Look at the text again. Let me preach the word, right? They went out, he went out before them all. He traipses out, carrying all his atrophy is healed immediately. He gets up, takes up that cot. I don't know what he did with the ropes. Let's pretend he took them with him. He drug them out too. And, and he walks out in front of them all and they're all bedazzled. They're amazed. They, they're ecstatic with, uh, beside themselves. It's shocking. How could this be? And they glorify God. They say, hallelujah, never. We never saw anything like this before. Let us pray. Father, please, as we come to You, Lord, we do seek Your mercy. We depend on Jesus. Fill us with faith. Help us to wholeheartedly seek Him, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that our faith would be visible, that people could see that we, we really believe in Jesus. We're willing to put up with difficulty, with risk, uh, we're willing to cut through roofs to get to Jesus. It's that important to us. Lord, we pray that we would come and that we pray that we would bring people to Jesus. We would do the necessary effort to carry them to Jesus so that He could forgive their sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.